Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be back too from vacation. Oh, what a fun word and a dream. <laughs> it was a nice time. It was a nice time with the dogs. Um, I completely forgot to actually say who we were and what we were doing. So I'm still apparently in vacation brain. But this is Beers and Biscuits. I'm Nicole. And I'm Karen. And this is the dog cast for the rest of us. Even those of us who still have vacation. <laughs> Don't forget to grab your favorite beverage and give your dog a biscuit and enjoy the conversation. For the beverage today, I have Fly Creek Cider Mills Raspberry Apple Hard Cider. It is amazing. That sounds delicious. It is but so I good. feel like they need to work on that name. <laughs> that is a, that I, is I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it is Fly Creek Cider Mill is, does not roll off the tongue very easily. <laughs> and then for our, the biscuit portion of today's episode, I have, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Bocce's Bakery. Uh, they're training bites specifically because we love a good small training treat for yeah. lots of repetitions. We do love that. Let's kind of dive right in. Did we decide who's going to start this? <laughs> Hello, Karen. Hi, Nicole. So why don't you start? All right. Okay. Well, welcome back to another episode of Beers and Biscuits. I am so excited to continue chatting about the dog world in general. Um, and tonight we have a little bit bigger of a topic than just introducing ourselves, but also I think it's still going to be a fun topic. Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> so tonight we really wanted to talk a little bit about behind the scenes in the life of a dog professional and what goes on, because I think all dog professionals everywhere can agree on one thing, which is rare, but I think we can all agree that it's not just playing with puppies all day long. Right. If that, if that was it, we'd all be better off. <laughs> we'd be less stressed. We'd be less burnt out. Right. So yes, it, we, it would be much less stressful to just play with puppies all day. Um, but that's not the reality of owning a business or working with dogs. It's so much more. Right. And I think, I think that gets lost in translation sometimes, right? That it is a business. Like we're not just babysitter club after school, taking care of people's animals for, you know, either doing training, behavior, you're running a daycare. I'm also, you know, running a dog walking and pet care business. It's a legitimate business. And I think a lot of times that gets missed. Yes. The IRS is involved people. It is, it is <laughs> not just treats and, and toys and rainbows. <laughs> 
So where I'm going to start off by asking you kind of a big one, and it doesn't have to be very specific, but just so that dog guardians um, can kind of get a gist of what goes on behind the scenes. How much time, Nicole, would you say you spend doing like the admin work, all that fun scheduling, email, payroll, all of that stuff versus how much time you actually get to spend with dogs? So, I mean, that, so that's actually a really good question. I mean, just on face value, it's a really good question, but it's also a really good question now versus if, if I were to have answered this question, like pre COVID mm-hmm. be, it would be a completely different answer. Right. Because prior to that, you know, our business, um, much bigger, much bigger business. So, you know, I had at that time, nine walkers, about 200 to 250 clients wow. doing about 400 visits a week. So obviously the more clients and the more visits, there's a lot more scheduling, emailing, things like that, that go into that. Um, so at that time, I would say, I would say it was probably doing a lot more hands on with the dogs just because we had a larger volume. Right. So, you know, working full time as in working full time with the dogs, hands on doing walks, doing training, a full time schedule. And then, <laughs> and then on top of that, having to fit in part-time doing all of the admin type stuff. So a lot, a lot of, a lot of work. Now I am taking more of a limited walking role. So I'm not out with the dogs as much, but I am doing the same amount of paperwork. Can you hear him? A little bit. We've got Peter joining us in the background, making sure that we don't forget (laughs) dogs are involved. (laughs) I think the other part of this though, is this idea that like when you say full-time and part-time, people automatically think full-time, 40 hours, part-time, 20 hours. But I don't remember the last time I just worked a 40 hour a week to save my soul because it can be especially in in your path in the dog world it can be a 24 hour job oh yeah overnight absolutely um so there is a a big discrepancy it's not we we don't just get in our car in the morning and get to work at nine leave at five and walk away it can be like i start my day at 7 30 and i get done at 7 p.m so right Right. And I think that's important too, is that again, going, you know, looking at what a a pet care schedule is, it wasn't until the last maybe two or three years, maybe right before COVID that, you know, we started implementing more rigid and structured hours, like business hours, um, that we started scheduling holidays off. I mean, we still work every, we still work 365 days a year. And that I think is another thing that people don't understand. Um, especially in terms of, you know, pet care, dog walking type stuff, but even implementing like, Hey, Christmas Eve, you know, we're only going to be open till five. That's great. But 99.9% of the time, we still have people that are going to schedule a vacation over Christmas. So we're still working. We might not have the regular Monday through Friday dog walks, but we're still going to have that vacation coverage over yeah. that time frame, over those holidays. So 
so yeah, so full time, yeah, 10, 15 plus years of working 365 days a year. The other thing that gets forgotten in this, because you and I were kind of, I don't want to say lucky because we've worked hard for it, but this is our full time job. But there are pet professionals out there that have a quote unquote, regular full time job. And then on the weekends or at night, they are putting in those hours on top of those quote unquote regular job hours. Right. It's, it's definitely a lot more, I think, than people think of, you know, certainly I do know a lot of dog walking companies that are strictly Monday through Friday and they, you know, they only walk 10 to three and that's it. They don't do weekends. They don't do nights. And that works for them. It's just not how we started. So it's a little harder to implement it. <laughs> yeah. And, I'm, and I don't think either of us are, you know, sharing our perspective because we're looking for, you know, any kind of sympathy or something. We just are, I, at least in my opinion, we're just trying to share that. Like I said, we're not just playing with puppies all day. We are scheduling, emailing, all kinds of stuff other than just being with the dogs. Right. I mean, it is at the end of the day, it is actually a full business. So anything that any other small business owner needs to do, we still have to do that, you know, just like, like they do. And it is, it's a lot of work. It, it is. Be, and like, for me, another thing that, and I'm sure this has to happen to you too, but it's also the messages out of the blue of people you haven't spoken to in forever or just the client you haven't heard from in years going, hey, I've got a quick question. And to me, yes, I look, I'm going to help you. I'm going to answer your question. But I don't think that like people are like randomly sending messages to like engineers or like tax accountants being like, hey, I know it's 11 p.m. on a Tuesday night, but real quick, could you help me with this without me paying for it? Um, so that can, that side of it too is also exhausting. I, I think we've talked about this before. And I, I think I've said it before that like, you know, if I drive over to Walmart at 7 p.m. and they happen to close at six, I'm not making a phone call and them magically coming and opening up Walmart for me. Mm -hmm. But there is that... I wouldn't say that expectation because not, you know, obviously not all clients are like that, oh, but gosh, there no. can be some clients, there can be some clients that do have that expectation that, oh, hey, I realize that your hours are Monday through Friday, eight to four, but I really need this Sunday at, you know, 3 p.m. And then so then you get into this kind of push and pull where you want to help people because obviously you love the dogs and you like the people for the most part. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you love the dogs and you love doing it. And so you make yourself available. And I think what ends up happening sometimes is then it's hard to reel that back in. Right. Because once we make two or three concessions of, yeah, I'm going to, I'll, sure, I'll work on my day off, then it becomes hard to say no when you really do need that day off. Yeah. So I think it's just this idea that if we can all start to recognize pet professionals as actual pre 
professionals, we're not going to see as many trainers and walkers and sitters burnt out and leaving the field. Right. I mean, I'm all for making myself available to people. You know, if you have an emergency, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. But it's there, uh, there are clients that it's just their personality to expect that. Mm-hmm that you're going to make a concession for them just because they ask, or why can't you, well, why can't you do this? And it's, you know, I mean, I've heard, I've had clients tell, tell me before, well, what do you mean? You know, you said you work full time. What do you mean? You can't come on a Saturday night. Like, yeah, well, (laughs) because I already put in my hours Exactly. Between Monday and Thursday. And I kind of need some time off. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to sleep, see my dog, you know, maybe see my family or just, you know, sleep. (laughs) Right. I think it's just hard sometimes because, you know, we get into this work because of how much we really love and care about animals. And, you know, sometimes we, I don't know what the word is. We allow ourselves to Give more than we maybe should at times. Yes, exactly. So what else kind of goes on behind the scenes for for you in your profession of the dog walking world that that clients might not be aware of? Oh boy. Um, so I mean, just starting things like having to do payroll, having to do taxes having um, to do invoicing and accounts payable and accounts receivable. Those are just kind of really the minutia, I guess, of what happens. But there's a lot of other things like, you know, I have to keep on top of our insurance and I have to keep on top of things like, you know, our first aid certifications or our professional memberships, things like that. But also you know, a lot of other things that go into making sure that our scheduling software is running smoothly. It's not necessarily my scheduling software. We use a software from another company, but I also have to make sure that user experience for our clients is running smoothly. Um, answering emails and phone calls, doing things that I, you know, some of the things that I think people don't realize that we do are things like market analysis. I am constantly running a market analysis on our area and seeing what other companies are charging, what other companies are offering and where we fall in there. You know, looking at things like, you know, networking, what are some other companies in the area that we can network with and have a good relationship with that we can, you know, have kind of a mutual referral system with taking business classes. That's another thing I've taken all sorts of things like, you know, small business accounting, um, small business taxes, those kind, you know, all those kinds of things. But I think too, it could even get even a little bit more into the nitty gritty if you really think about it, because there's things like for you, you're driving to clients. So you have to make sure your oil is changed and the gas is filled and it's, it's all of this. It's not just, like I said, it's not just clocking in and clocking out. It's all the tiny details that you may not think about when you're hiring a dog professional to work with that they've got going on behind the scenes. Looking at things like what's the, you know, what's, what's the weather going to be like this exactly. week? Right. Like, I mean, if the weather's going to be the high nineties with ridiculous humidity, I can't be scheduling four hour visits for people. 
Right. Right. So it's like even, even small things like that, like planning ahead, looking at the weather, looking at um, even like, we'll pull up like traffic closures, things like that. Um, Things like that are going to impact us getting to someplace, which is then going to in turn impact how long we are allotting for that visit. Even, I mean, even things like making sure that I have time every week to clean out my car, give it a good little vacuum, give it a good little spritz of bug spray, because I'm constantly having dogs in and out of my car. The last thing I want to do is pick up fleas somewhere. And then (laughs) even things like making sure that our cars are presentable, that my equipment is serviceable. Those are all little things that do end up taking time. Absolutely. Even things like making sure the files that people need to fill out to sign up for a course or whatever, we have to make sure that those are, you know, updated. Do we need to change the questions? So it's all of these things that we have to do that a lot of times I feel gets overlooked. And I think it's important that people know and be aware that we're doing more. We're doing a lot here. And it's, and it's typically just on us. We don't have, I don't, I, I don't have a guy. I don't have a guy to I mean, I have a website guy. I'll be honest. I got it. I got a website guy and a tax guy, but that's all I got. Nobody else is making my forms. Nobody else is doing the social media posts. It's just me. It's just me. So that I just think it's important to note. <laughs> right. You know, it is a small business. And for the most part, um, I'm lucky to have a business partner that helps me with a lot of things, or rather I help her with a lot of things, (laughs) vice versa. Um, But for the most part, I mean, if you think of this industry, the majority of people that are, that are doing these jobs, you know, running uh, a pet care company or run, you know, as a dog trainer, for the most part, they're not part of a a larger organization that's going to have a lot of this structure in place that takes that takes a lot of this pressure off of them. Definitely. So then, what would you consider then your favorite part of being a small business owner? Hmm. I mean, I guess. I mean, I think it's what anybody would say, right? That I work for myself. Yeah. You know, I don't don't answer to anybody except for my partner, <laughs> my business partner. Um, but I mean, if there's something that I want to do or change or try, it's just us, right? Like we just sit down and talk about it. So it's not like, you know, that there's a lot of constraint built into it in that respect. So I do like that, right? Like I do like being my own boss and um, having more control and more autonomy in my, in what I am doing. Yeah. I love that. Who wouldn't want that? Let me ask you then, what is your least favorite thing about running a small business? My least favorite thing, and I can only say that it is my own doing, but the pressure, the pressure to succeed, the pressure to do it all, the pressure to do it right and do it well it's kind of can be all consuming at times. Like today I was rearranging inventory in my little shop and I was like, I had this unnatural pressure to get the, get the display right and perfect. So people will like it. I was like, Karen, take it down a notch. 
it's going to be okay. So just the, the pressure of always feeling like you have to be better than you were the day before when not everybody saw you the day before. So it's, you can just be like you were maybe a little bit better than yesterday, but that would be my least favorite part. I feel that too, in a little bit different of a way, I think. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I feel the pressure to be a better, and I, and I, and I'm sure you feel this way too. I'm not saying that you don't feel this way, but I feel the pressure to be, or to, to provide a better service. Yes. Yep. Right. That's an, an immense amount of pressure. Mm -hmm. Right. To know that it's such a saturated profession, a saturated market, maybe not so much depending on geography, but in this area, I literally could probably throw a stone and hit, I don't know how many different companies that do what I do. So there's that pressure to not stand out, but stand apart. Yes. We are still one of only two companies that service our area, that provide dog walking, pet care services, positive reinforcement, no aversive equipment. So for a long time, there was that pressure to be like, I need these people to choose us, right? Because the alternative was seeing that dog that we could be walking and it's walking down the street with a shock collar on, mm -hmm. sorry, an e-collar on. So there was always that pressure to make sure that we're, I wouldn't say bringing in as many clients as we can, but just that, that we're available. Yeah. You know, we're available to people because there isn't a lot for them to choose from in this area that would provide a service that I would feel comfortable with. So there was a lot of pressure in the, and there still is to some extent to like really, you know, stand apart from the rest of the, the companies out there. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about, about this idea that our day isn't 40 or excuse me, our week isn't 40 hours. It's so much more because we want to be available. We want to help that dog. Oh, we need to help that dog. And then that feeds into compassion fatigue and burnout. And then people leave the industry and it's all in the same soup pot of why we need those business hours. We need those policies in place that give us a little bit of buffer a little bit of time away from the business so that when we come back, we're ready and we can take those clients and really make that difference we're hoping to make with that pressure we feel to help as many animals as we can. We're at this point, again, post-COVID, right? We had a, a, a huge downturn in business because of that with people working from home and not really needing a dog walker anymore, which I completely understand. But, you know, there's always, again, there's this kind of push-pull where, well, if we, <laughs> um, if we hire more people, then we can take more clients. But then there's, you know, the other half of that is hiring more people means a whole slew of other things, right? So that mm -hmm. means training more people and paying more people. And it's kind of, you know, it's like, if we add more people, we can add more clients. But then if we have more clients, then are we really providing that level of care and attention that I, I want our standard to be? And then if we don't have those people, then we can't have us have the clients. And then there again, there's that pressure to be like, but if we don't have these clients, then they're just going to go to yep, so and so who's gonna, you know, exactly what you're saying because like sorry I didn't mean to 
cut you off, but I get so excited. Um, like for you, you're saying how like post COVID it's a little bit slower. I feel like post COVID it's a little bit busier for me, but that doesn't equal necessarily a good thing because I'm seeing a lot of COVID puppies and then a lot of the COVID puppies have separation anxiety and separation anxiety is something I will not touch with a 10 foot pole. So I have to source that out and that's fine. That's fine. But then again, it goes back to that pressure of, okay, well maybe I should pursue a certification and I should learn more about it and because you're always feeling this pressure to serve so these dogs don't end up in the hands of somebody with a prong collar or an e-collar I'm just going to call it what it is it's a shock collar it's a that I'm not I'm not going to call it an e-collar I'm (laughs) sorry (laughs) and I think that then that goes back to if you are going to be referring these out then you have to be spending time doing the networking, researching these other trainers that you're referring to and making sure that you're sending them to competent, reliable people. And so it's not like just because we refer to another company that it's just, we wash our hands, right? Right. Um, There is also work that goes into that. And so that's a really good point too, is that just because I might get somebody that's, you know, asking for services and I don't just say, oh, sorry, we can't take you. End of story. You know, I still have to talk with that person. I still say, okay, well, what are you looking for? Let me see if I can get a couple people to help you. If, you know, these people can't help you. And I usually, so what I do is I usually message those companies first and say, hey, I've got this person that is looking for this and this and this service. Are you available? And, you know, they'll either say yes or no, but if they say yes, then, you know, I can refer on to them. But, you know, it's not just simply saying, oh, sorry, we can't take you and that's it. So it's still work. Yeah, there's so much. And uh, like, and, and I'm sure there's going to be somebody that's going to be like, oh, well, it's sending an email, but that's still that's five minutes away from my personal life. That's five minutes I'm taking. And for whatever reason, it always happens at dinner time, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, all right, well, let me I'm going to respond to this email real quick. And then we're going to move on. But it's just this idea that I can't say it enough. I know I've already said it a bunch of times, but I'm going to say it probably 14 more times in this episode, but it's not just playing with puppies all day. It's not. And I think some of the bigger concepts of the behind the scenes things, other things that can get lost too, is we have to also look at and kind of define our own business ethics and business. um, (laughs) Peter agrees with the need for business ethics. (laughs) It's very fluid, right? And it's very malleable, I think is the word I'm looking for. That as we grow and... I think he disagrees with you now. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He had a big day, apparently. I guess so. Um, As we grow our business, things come up and we'll say, oh crap, you know, I really should have included that in our contract. Or for us, obviously it's no, sorry, we're not going to use any prong collars or choke chains or even flexi leads. I'm not going to use a flexi lead to walk your dog. I'm glad that you feel comfortable doing that, but that's just not something that's going to fly with my insurance. I have to write that into a contract and that that in turn helps inform what our our standards are and what our code of ethics is. So, or if I have, and this has happened, so this is 
the reason why I bring it up, but where we do have these very strict policies about aversive equipment, but then, you know, I kind of hear scuttlebutt from the walkers that so-and-so client is like asking the walker to use it anyway and just saying, well, just don't let them know about it. We have to then be a little bit, you know, more strict with our contracts and and then every time that you have to amend that that's you know you've got to come up with a policy change and then you've got to let everybody know about it and you've got to give all your clients time to digest it and let it sit well with them yep and then you have to implement it so it is a little bit of of extra work i i guess basically was what i was trying to And I think that can kind of go back to the idea of my least favorite thing, because when you make those changes, and for me, I try to give my clients like at least two months, I will say, okay, the price increase is going to be in effect in two months and or whatever it may be. There's always that level of, are they going to be okay with this? Are they going to stick with me? What's going to happen? And and it goes back to that idea of you want to help every dog. So is this the right decision? Is it okay? So I think it's just you have to know what you stand for in your ethics and what you want your business to be and really stand by it. What What is one thing or what are some things you, you wish you knew when you started the business that you didn't? Yeah, I mean, definitely I wish I knew how much work it would be. Yes. Right, like, I mean, legitimately, like how much work it would be and how much, you know, how much of a toll it would it takes on you mentally and physically if we're not meeting our own needs to some respect, then we are going to get burnt out. And there's just once that happens, we're no good to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm no good to the dogs. I'm no good to my business partner. I'm no good to the to anybody. So definitely the mental and physical toll, I think. Oh, definitely. I think really understanding your worth and not trying to be everything to everyone for anybody like starting out or even, I mean, even for clients, right? Like, I think it's important to understand that if you're not necessarily a good match for that company and that company's not necessarily a good match for you, find another one because ultimately you have to both, both of those ends of the equation have to be happy. Knowing now that being true to myself, being true to my ethics and carrying that through in our business and making sure that we take clients that align with that, it ultimately increases our worth. If I'm just trying to take every client out there because I'm really trying to build up my client base, in the long run, if those aren't necessarily clients that are going to mesh with me or that maybe share my vision of what I want to do with this this company or the kind of services that I want to provide, then I'm not really doing myself or the dogs or the clients a service in the end. So definitely knowing where your strengths are, knowing your worth, knowing your value and not trying to be everything for everybody. Okay. So then I, so I'm going to, I'm going to swap it back to you then. Cause you stole my question for I you. Did. I'm going to steal your question for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> so what do you see the future of this industry and how do you feel like clients can help us get there? You know, I was really hoping that you were going to answer this one. So I don't have a answer prepared. <laughs> um, but I definitely see the future of this industry. Obviously, 
positive reinforcement, um, more humane methods. But I also hope it's going to be a more collaborative effort and less of uh, these are my clients and you can't have them. There's not enough room for us in this industry uh, because it was very much that way when I started. If you moved into an area where a trainer was, you were like hexed or something. (laughs) Um, But I hope that it is a more collaborative effort. We're working together, not just between trainers and other dog professionals, but also I hope it's more collaborative between the clients and the trainers and the walkers and not just, uh, oh, you're going to train my dog for me. You're going to walk my dog for me. And I'm not saying that that's every client because that's not the case, but I'm hoping moving forward that it can be every single client that knows that we're a team we're in this together. And I think that for me, in my business and in my experiences, the clients can help us get there by first and foremost, just bring the treats. I'm happy to supply them, but it does say in the email I send you, bring bring some treats with you. So just, just bring those and that right there, that's going to help us move forward in this industry. <laughs> You're so funny. Um <laughs> I agree. Like, I feel like there's not necessarily a barrier between us as business, small business owners and pet professionals, dog trainers and clients. But I do feel like what you're saying there, there, we do need to have a little bit more collaboration, right? And I think that we need to have more emphasis on having more qualified and credible professionals and having a a lot less barriers for professionals to adopt force-free, fear-free, more positive-based methods across all aspects of pet professions. And that goes, you know, for for everything, for daycares, dog walkers, even Even veterinary hospitals. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I think the way that clients can do that is by continuing to seek out education, right? The more knowledgeable clients become, the more and better questions that they ask of professionals. And by doing that, clients can actually help us direct and actively make larger sweeping policy changes across this profession. Absolutely. And I think too, in that same breath is this idea that as the dog guardian, we have to advocate for our dog. And if we are educated and we know what to say or what questions to ask, we're all going to be better off in the long run, whether you're on one side of the training or you're the trainee, um, you've got to advocate. And I think we also we can't lead from a place of judgment. We have to lead from a place of empathy. And that's, again, how we move this forward. And I think we also just need to learn how to have conversations with each other again. But we have to, we have to meet people where they're at, because that's not going to move us us forward. What we did want to do too, is we did want to introduce listeners to a little segment that we're going to have, and we're going to call it what book bites or book 
tidbit, I think is what you put in there. And it's a little book review. We haven't exactly nailed down the name, but book book bites. I think I kind of like book bites <laughs> um, or book tidbits. We'll, we'll figure it out eventually when we decide we'll let everybody know. <laughs> um, but if you are interested in learning a little bit more about the behind the scenes of what goes into a dog business, there is a really great book offered through Dogwise Publishing. The book is called, surprisingly enough, How to Run a Dog Business, Putting Your Career Where heart is. This book is one that I turned to when I first entered the industry. Um, I started off as a dog walker, then moved to overnight pet care, and then on to training and now behavior modification services. And this book has a little bit of it all depending on which profession you want to get into, what avenue of the dog world you are looking to explore. This book will help guide you, help give you a baseline to go off of it. It's probably not going to answer every single question. You'll still want to take those business courses and figure out the accounting and all that fun stuff, but it is a good jumping off place. So I strongly recommend if you are interested in this field to check out How to Run a Dog Business by Veronica Botel. All right. So that's it for this episode. And we look forward to you visiting with us and listening to us again in the next episode. And as um, always, don't forget to get give your dog a biscuit from us. Yes. Don't forget to give your dog a biscuit. Okay, bye. <laughs> Crush a mess today. <laughs> <laughs>